Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Welcome everybody to episode 37 of Ripstop on the Record. Today we have our last but definitely not least adventure sponsor, Sarah, who is joining us from Canada. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. We are super excited to have you here. I can say without a doubt that your projects were the most uh, memorable in terms of it's just what you made was super eye-catching. Um, and I've seen it being posted around on Instagram and Reddit and things like that. So I'm super excited to talk to you today and hear more about um, these awesome creations that you made for your adventure. But before we get into that, just tell us a little bit about who you are and where you live. Yeah, so I'm Sarah Quackenbush, and I share my life with my partner and my two dogs, Perrin and Say, where I live. Well, currently I'm in Ontario, but we're in the middle of moving right now. So the last few years, uh, we've been in Montreal. Before that, I lived out west, and I'm originally from Ontario. So we're hoping to head back out west, and I'm just in the process of selling the house and getting moved very exciting. I know that every time we talk to someone from Canada, we have to pull up a map because we <laughs> are like, we don't know what's going on up there. So <laughs> that will definitely be helpful for us <laughs> in terms of which area you're talking about since Canada is so massively large. <laughs> so what do you do? Like what drew you to, to DIYing? Do you have a job where you work with your hands a lot and you're used to constructing stuff or how did you land on the idea of, yeah, I should really be, uh, I should really be making my projects, but what else do you do outside of that? So I've sewn for a long time. So that's, that is just kind of a natural extension. Uh, my husband likes to tell me that one of my hobbies is trying new hobbies. So I've kind of got a lot of them uh, in the short. I like to make things and I like to spend time outside. So I sew, I quilt, I spin yarn, I garden, which is one of those fun ones where you get to be outside and make things at the same time. Uh, I do a little bit of dog sports, a little bit of dog sport and astrophotography, and then pure outdoor things like hiking and snowboarding and cross-country skiing, whitewater kayaking. Started dabbling in climbing before the pandemic started, but then all the gyms closed and there's not much outside here. So that'll be picked up later. I love that. I do think that there is a there is a common theme that we see with a lot of DIYers, which is they don't normally only do one thing. <laughs> and I think you definitely epitomize that. Like that hobby of having new hobbies, it's a great way to put it. I've actually never heard that one before, but I can definitely identify with that. <laughs> yeah. And then like in terms of a job, I my background's in geological engineering and project management, but when my husband and I wanted to live in the same place for once, uh, he was in Montreal. So I moved back east. I can't work in my field there because of the French language. Uh, it's done in French. I don't speak French. So I went back to school uh, for computer science and just finished that degree up about two weeks ago. So now I get the always terrifying uh, prospect of the job search. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. That's really exciting. Going back to school is never easy, especially when you're going back as like, you know, a mid twenties or later twenties adult near surrounded. So props to you for putting yourself out there um, and getting more education. That's super awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. School love to learn the hobby, new hobbies thing. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> school's not really my jam. So I'm glad it's over. Fair enough. We, I think we can uh, get down with yeah, that as well. <laughs> that makes, that make, I think that makes three of us. <laughs> awesome. So tell us about your adventure. I know that you might have done a few mini adventures, a misadventure. So we can kind of run through those as you see fit. Just um, whatever you want to share. It's always great to kind of know, you know, people love to know distances, time of year, and obviously location. Yeah. So distances are not going to be impressive on this one. These were very much like normal, like That's week okay. off holiday adventures. So originally I was going to do the Puckasa Coastal Trail, Superior Coastal Trail, and a canoe trip later on in the year. But COVID restrictions in the spring and then some dog health issues we had uh, kind of changed up what I did. So the two I ended, the two big ones I ended up doing uh, were a, a trail in Quebec called uh, 
I'm just going to say it in English because it's not in English. It's it's a French name and I'm just going to butcher it and embarrass myself. So it's the border trail uh, in French and then um, the Superior Coastal Trail, which I did in mid-June. So the border trail was the one that was a bit of a misadventure. I did it in mid-May. I just finished up all the gear making and like ran out the door. I was going to do uh, like a yo-yo flip-floppy thing to avoid a shuttle. And it just kind of right from day one didn't go as planned. So it was originally to be eight days. I did four days. Uh, they are between 20 and 30 kilometers a day. The weather was really not as forecasted was the first part, which which I could deal with in itself. It was a little bit colder than I expected. It was raining. It was hail. I got hailed on five times one day. Um <laughs> which I could have dealt with in isolation. It was actually really good gear testing. Uh, but then it kind of compounded with the fact that the map I had bought and the like signposted maps had different closures listed. And it's on the border of the United States and Canada. So it's out in Eastern Quebec and is on the border. And a lot of the trail is on the border cut which kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like I'm kind of an anxious person. And so maybe it wasn't the best choice for like my first trip out in the spring. Um, again, cause that's a very, very French area. And so the English, like in the city, English is a little more easier and my the little bit of French I can do can get me by, but it definitely wasn't going to out there if I ran into trouble. Uh, the signage was not super clear. Um, I understood it enough to know that there was hunting and private property, but not enough to understand <laughs> what, like I was on the trail. I can read maps. I can read maps at least. And so I could tell I was on trail and you could see the official like trail markers, but again, highly anxious person. It was maybe not, not the best choice in that regard. I, I don't think I was ever anywhere I shouldn't have been, but I was always worried I was somewhere I shouldn't have been. So it was a lot of mental game on that trip. Um, and my inReach was malfunctioning, which wasn't helping. I didn't need it, but knowing that my messages weren't going out was just really stressful. So I kind of realized very early on, it wasn't going to be the trip that I planned. And just, I said, okay, well, I'll do four days. And it was more of a mental challenge than anything, because by that point it was muddy. It was snowy. I was getting hailed on. It was raining. There were down trees everywhere. Like I, it was more of a mental challenge at that point. So I did my four days. Um, it was a really good gear testing trip. I camped on all sorts of surfaces, platforms, uh, the tent and my sleeping bag tested their limits a little bit. I know we go into like how stuff works a little later. So I'll, I'll go into that in, more in depth later, but so it was a good gear testing trip. It was a good, like not all trips are type one fun <laughs> and it's okay to change your plans if you're not having fun. Cause that is the point. Yeah. And I think, uh, we talked about this on the last podcast episode, but hiking and making your own gear, there are some similarities there, right? So you can plan maybe for two weeks or a month to make a tent or a tarp or a backpack, and something's going to end up a little bit different than how you had originally envisioned that gear being. And same with any kind of adventure that you're doing. You could plan for three years to fly across the world and hike in Australia, and you might get awful weather or something crazy. It doesn't always go exactly as planned. So I think that spirit definitely transfers over from creating your own gear to any kind of adventure that you're having. And it seems like that's kind of what uh, you're relaying back. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the second trip did go much better. Even with bad weather, it was like a type one fun trip. So that was really great. So I did the Lake Superior Coastal Trail, which is the one I was really, really excited to do. So it's up in Northern Ontario. We did it in about mid-June, which is generally not considered prime time for that trail, but it worked really well for us. Um, it is hands down my favorite trail in Ontario. I did part of it last year with a friend and wanted to do the entire trail. It's really, really different than a lot of the other hiking in Ontario. There's a little less hiking in Ontario than at West. And the big thing to do here is canoe. Like that's, that's the outdoor camping thing. And so there's not a ton of developed hiking, hiking trails. And a lot of them are forest and lake and forest and lake and forest and lake. And so <laughs> Superior's different. And so it's different than the Superior hiking trail in the States. This one is less hiking trail and more shoreline. So you only really go up on a trail to get around cliffs and otherwise the trail is mostly right on the shoreline sometimes that's beach which is great and other times it's like steep slabby kind of terrain and or 
just like boulder hopping on like soccer ball sized rocks or navigating through like uh, microwave to fridge sized boulders that you're trying to like climb around. So in the rain, it, it it's a lot slower because it's not just groomed hiking trail or not groomed hiking trail, but just packed down hiking trail. Um, it can be a lot slower when it's wet. It's very slippery. But I really enjoy that micro route finding thing. So it's a really approachable trail for that, especially for people in Ontario, maybe who are more new to that kind of terrain, because it's usually pretty close to the road, the highway. If you need to bail, it's relatively easy to do so, except for one section. So it's it's for in Ontario, a lot of the people kind of moving up into more difficult hikes. It's really good for that. And my husband came on this trip, so he's not a big hiker. I don't think he's been he hadn't been on a multi-night trip with me since I moved back east. And he really wanted to come. And that wasn't the original plan, but I, I mean, I'm excited. That was going to be six <laughs> days. Um, and the days were really short which was, I'm not going to call it a mistake, but this year was the first year that the province changed the rules on permitting and hiking. So prior to this year, you just needed to book the number of nights you're going to be out there and you could camp at any of the designated sites any given night. But this year and after COVID last year, when it was really, really busy, they got really heavily trafficked because everywhere else in Ontario requires you to book specific sites on a specific night and you need to reserve them in advance. Mm. So they got kind of overwhelmed and this year they brought in brought it into line with the other uh, provincial parks which is a little more challenging on the show because if you get weather you might move substantially slower like half or worse speed than you would go when it's dry so when i booked the trip it is june weather's unpredictable it's lake superior weather's unpredictable so i booked a six-day itinerary which had some pretty short days in case the weather was atrocious. Um, so six days was too long for us, even in bad weather, but I wouldn't have known that before. And hanging out in camp is definitely the preferential option to trying <laughs> to be in the dark or like scram, like just being miserable, especially once my husband ended up coming because he can do type two fun, but that's not why he's coming. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it ended up being a really great trip. We had rain most days. I think it didn't rain one day. Uh, but it was really humid. It was on the cold side. So um, I think like freezing at night, some nights, 13 at night, some nights, which was pretty warm. And it never got higher than about 20 during the day, uh, all Celsius. I'm not sure what those are in Fahrenheit. Um, <laughs> but that worked for us. Both of us run kind of hot. And last summer when I did this trail, it was in August and it was very hot. And I just roasted out on the shoreline. There's very little shade in spots. So the colder weather worked for me. And so did it again, good gear testing. So it is Lake Superior. It's very windy. Um, and we did have some very windy days, some stormy days. So it was really good for that. So, um, overall the gear worked really well in this trip. I was very happy with it. Again, I think we go more into that later. Um, but my husband also had a lot of make your own gear stuff that wasn't like for this specifically, but it's, I've made my own gear for a long time. He also started because he wanted to get to hammock camping. So there's a lot of make your own gear on this trip. Um, and so that was really fun. I'm glad you mentioned the terrain and stuff because like Avery said, Canada is not exactly top of the most or of most minds of Americans, but specifically like central to Eastern Canada. Like when people think of like outdoors, they think of British Columbia, they think of Alberta and Banff and stuff like that. And I think, I think that Ontario is probably maybe like a bit of a hidden gem of Canadian outdoor, <laughs> outdoor experience. Uh, so I had, didn't even know, I was going to ask you about what it was going to, was, whether it's trail or Rocky. I mean, but Ontario stretches from, what is it like North of Vermont all the way over to like Michigan. Like it's a huge, <laughs> it's a huge amount of space that like has very variable climates and everything like that. Yeah, no, for sure. And so when you're talking about Ontario hiking, you've got your notable kind of different trains. You've got your Lake Superior, which is the coastal trail and a Puckasaw is similar. Uh, it's a little longer, a little less like it's probably got, I haven't done it, but from what I, the research I'd done, people are kind of saying it's got about the same amount of challenging terrain, but there's more miles. So there's more easier sections, but it's kind of similar. And then you've got the other really notable hike in Ontario in terms of terrain is La Cloche in Killarney, uh, the La Cloche 
Silhouette Trail, which has like the big white quartzite hills, which are really unique. And then you've got stuff like Algonquin Park, which is more your, your Canadian Shield uh, trails and bogs and um, lakes and that kind of thing. But there's not like, you know, like, like Western Alberta or most of BC, where you've got these huge hiking networks. Uh, it a lot of it in Ontario's crown land and a lot of it's canoeing. That's kind of the big thing here. And that's, that's what my parents are into. I haven't got into it a lot. I was hoping to do some this summer. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the big thing here is canoe trips. That makes sense. So if I want to start tying into the gear and stuff now, a question I do like to ask people and it normally doesn't vary too much, but I'm always curious about to ask no matter what is, does your gear, the, the, the gear that you designed at least, did you make that specifically for the environment that you're in or the, the environment just in mind? Or did you do any engineering on your gear because of the climate and you're on the beach and you're on rocks and things like that? Um, so not for this specific trip, because this is a pretty um, isolated in terms of overall what I do. I, we are hoping to move back out West. So that's kind of more gearing towards what I'm, I'm doing and I do like to hike. So in that case, yes, like it is a hiking trip. These were all designed. It's not none of them are crazy lightweight. Uh, I do hike lighter than maybe what's typical here, but I'm not like cutting edge Graham weenie. Uh, I'm somewhere in the middle of that. So um, none of them were crazy light, but they all had like an eye towards light for what they are. Sure. Gotcha. So to bridge that in now, what did you make? So I made a bunch of things. Uh, I'll start with the sleeping bag. So that's kind of where the whole thing started. I know everybody wants to hear about the tent, but I'm really excited about the sleeping <laughs> bag. So I'm going to talk about it first. Um, so this all started when I applied. It was a sleeping bag. That was the big thing for me because the sleeping bag I had been using, good sleeping bag, bad fit for me. I'd uh, outgrown it and it was definitely way too small in the hip and it had never been a great fit. It was like, um, it was a feather drum flicker. It's about six feet long. It's pretty narrow cut. It just wasn't a good fit for my body. I am larger and quite short. Um, and so when I started looking for something to replace that, it became clear really quickly that what I wanted, I was going to have to compromise on if I was going to buy something, uh, to get the fit that I wanted. There's not a ton out there. That was exactly what I wanted. I could have got close enough with kind of any women's shaped bag, but I did have some kind of specific things I wanted in terms of fit and the features I really wanted hoodless because I rotisserie sleep and I just get tangled in them. I wanted a neck baffle. I wanted it to be zippered, uh, because I wanted about a 20 degree bag for a bit more coverage. And I find quilts for me are great in summer, but once I'm down around zero, I prefer something zippered at that point, uh, three quarter length zip, um, with a zipper baffle cinches at the neck. And I just couldn't find it. Like I, it didn't really exist. There's things that come close. Um, Nunatech has some stuff that's close. Um, enlightened equipment zippered bag is close but the fits aren't there and then the women's bags are close on fit but they don't have the feature set so for me with the sleeping bag I used a custom print because of course I'm going to use custom print I love them but it really was the fit and feature set for the bag that I was really excited about and really wanted to put together um so the the thing with that one was designing it. It was really important to me that I didn't have any sewn through seams in the foot box. I wanted horizontal baffles in the foot and vertical in the body. And to put that together with a zipper and no sewn through seams in the foot box is a construction challenge. I looked around on the internet trying to see what other people were doing with, with foot boxes and stuff. Cause I had some ideas in my head, but wanted to know what, what people were doing. And not to say that nobody's ever done it. I'm absolutely sure they have. They just haven't posted on the internet about it. <laughs> I was only finding sewn through construction. Either they would do a non-sewn through construction on the back seam in the leg of the foot box and then sew in the circular end, or they do the opposite. They do the foot box not sewn through and then do the back seam sewn through. And it was important to me to not do that because I didn't want cold spots in my foot box because my feet get cold. Uh, whether that actually matters at 20 degrees, I don't actually know. I haven't tested it, <laughs> but it's also a fun design challenge. 
so I eventually did come up with a way to do it, which was really exciting to me because it is really a non-standard construction. Given what you see normally, it comes more out of like bag making, uh, like a handbag making kind of where you've got liners Mm -hmm. and outers and garment sewing. And it's way easier. I have a video of it on Instagram because it's really hard to explain, but you basically take your inner and outer shells that are inside out. So a strip of mesh into the seam allowances of that round foot box. And so then you've got, they're attached by this tube. You fill the foot box and then you turn them inside out and progressively sew your foot baffles up and fill them as you go up the foot box until you get to the end of your foot box. And then you can do your vertical baffles and fill them all at the end. Interesting. So I just want to hop in real quick because I know you have like tons of great information and (laughs) we could ask, I'm sure we could talk about all these designs for the rest of the day. And if we brought Carter in, he'd be asking you questions. So um, my first question is you mentioned kind of like you have apparel design and bag making design, but for the sleeping bag specifically, did you pattern it? Did you use any software to make a pattern? Did you uh, use a cheaper material to do like a first run through of this or you're just kind of designing it as you go kind of freehand? So I knew what dimensions I wanted. And so I drew them out on paper. Um, And again, with the construction method, I wasn't going to do a differential cut because doing the math for differential cut when your sleeping bag changes, isn't a continuous taper. Like it's not just two straight lines dot, like it doesn't go at a constant rate smaller to the foot box mine starts narrower at the neck comes out for the shoulders comes down to the hips stays straight to about my knees and then tapers down to the foot box and so doing all that I'd never done a down project before but so what I did to make it kind of shaped was uh, I did darts so when you're dealing with zippers you don't want to take that taper out of the zipper uh when you're changing like that because you're going to have like corners to go around with the zipper so that's taken out in darts which makes it round so I did all of that drafting on paper because apparently I'm 80 um I've even done like (laughs) I've even done CAD stuff for school and for work and stuff and I I do my I need to learn uh Inkscape because I do everything on paper but so I did that on paper (laughs) but the actual construction and the way it went together I just did in my head and then I could picture how it worked. And that's like, that's a skill I've been trying to build for years and years. Like I've been sewing for 20 years. Yeah. 20 ish years. And the picturing in 3d is really, really hard. That's not something that came naturally to me. So to be able to do that for me and put all these different skills together from different types of sewing that I felt like that was a big accomplishment for me. I was really excited about that. So I got to back up a little bit. There's a lot of people on the episode that will understand everything you said and will be really stoked and will be like, oh my gosh, she's a genius. And there'll be a lot of people also listening that are going to be like, I was lost after she said cold spots. <laughs> so <laughs> Let's rewind just a little bit. And I want to give a brief recap and then you, you fill in the blanks that I missed out. So for everybody listening, uh, Sarah wanted to make a sleeping bag that fit her, her style, her style of camping better than anything else that she had seen on the market. The biggest problem is a lot of places have cold spots with the, depending on how they're sewn in, you're hitting blank spots that could result in discomfort, but. So not commercial bags. I, I haven't seen a lot, but generally they don't have sewn through. When I started looking for DIY construction, that, that wasn't one of the reasons I wasn't going to go with the commercial bag. Most commercial bags don't do that. That that's definitely, it's hard to do, which is why you see it more in DIY. It's hard. Uh, it's see. hard to avoid the sewn through construction. It's more complicated. So you yeah. see more sewn through construction in DIY. At least that's what it looks like on the internet. I'm sure there's totally. people out there doing yep. it. No, I can picture that now. And when you're saying, sorry, when you're saying sewn through construction, uh, what is, <laughs> enlighten me a little bit. So with sleeping bags, uh, you have your down and you want to keep it where you want it. And there's two ways to kind of do that. You've got baffles, which is you take strips of mesh and sew them to attach to the inner and outer layers of your sleeping bag. So then you've got this gap between those two that the down can puff and inflate. And so the more loft you have, the warmer your bag is. 
The other way to keep the down from moving around is to like, like standard quilting, uh, you sew it right through both layers. So those points where the two layers are sewn together, there is no waft. And that's just a limitation on warmth. Again, to what degree back and forth is of debate. And I'm not <laughs> super into the weeds on that, but that's kind of the two general uh, situations. Okay. No, thanks for explaining that. I'm like, I haven't dabbled in uh, down construction either. Obviously I see a lot of other people's projects. I followed your process all the way through. Um, so you explaining that definitely gives more color. Cause at first I was like, wait, what, <laughs> <laughs> what are we referencing? No, but that makes um, a lot more sense. Yeah. You are inspiring me. Uh, we're planning a bike packing adventure in a couple months and I've been I've been contemplating a down project and I haven't. And now you, you've totally got my wheel spinning of like, well, maybe I could do it. <laughs> um, but it was way more approachable than I expected. I was expecting stuffing the bag to be a bit of a nightmare. That's what I need to hear. And it could have been. <laughs> but well, so the treated, I'd never used mm-hmm. down before when I was talking to other people online, the treated down that I used from you guys uh, was pretty easy to work with just by hand. I just grabbed mm-hmm. handfuls and I stuffed it in. That's all I did. I know people um, have way more ingenious ways of doing that, but <laughs> that's what I did. But I had I had a couple ounces of stuff I bought in Canada because I got worried I was going to run out, which I didn't, but highly yeah, anxious person. Yeah. And it was untreated and I put it in the neck baffle and it would have been a calamity if I had have tried to have just hand stuffed <laughs> that for the whole bag they they do behave differently so if you're using the treated down it might be a little more approachable for the stuff gotcha okay that is that's hmm yeah it's good to know i don't want to get stuck in that too much because we could be here for a while um but that <laughs> yeah. is amazing i have another quick question about the design of it and how you constructed it so uh i know you mentioned you did it kind of just all in your head working through the project do you what is your process for designing like I know you'll probably keep making more things and down the road, maybe make another iteration if that's in your goal or wheelhouse. But do you like have, if you wanted to remake it or if someone reached out and was like, make me a quilt, do you have a pattern you would share with others? It's just all up here stored away in your brain. What does that look like? Oh, for the sleeping bag, I actually have it fully documented out. Awesome. Uh, I'm hoping it will be a pattern and I've got, well, it's poor video. It's not good video, but I've got <laughs> video too. This summer's just been kind of nuts. So I haven't, and I have to learn Inkscape. Um, so I've kind of got it half put into a pattern, but it, it exists for that one. The tent's different. It's not my design. I, I wouldn't, well, A, it's the tent's patented. So it's actually not legally cool but I'm also not it's not my design I <laughs> if it's not my design I'm not putting it out there I don't think that's yeah. that's cool so yeah so no, for the sleeping bag yes I just know that people will listen to this and we're going to get questions and I know you get questions all the time on your Instagram about all of your projects because it is just literally so eye-catching that people are going to be like wait that sounds really cool how can I make a tint that's no so through and all of this stuff so Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was really happy about being able to put that together in my head, but then, but then it all goes on paper because okay. for something with that many steps, if I, some people can keep it straight in their head and I cannot, it, it all goes on paper. I write out all my steps, all that kind of stuff. I, I just do it on paper instead of drafting it out on the computer. What fabrics did you use for your sleeping bag? So for the custom print, it was the membrane, uh, membrane 15 ripstop polyester, uh, and then for anything black on that bag, which is the foot box mm-hmm. and the liner, uh, they're both just 1.1 ounce ripstop nylon. They're both calendared. And then I use the uh, Nocia mesh, the midweight one was that 0.69. Um, and then the 850 treated goose down. Awesome. Yeah. How did you, what were your, uh, how did you feel about the membrane 15? It was good. I liked it. Uh, I haven't worked with a huge diversity yeah. of, of ripstop fabrics. So these were, uh, I've worked with the ripstop nylon, the polyester was new. Mm-hmm. I did notice maybe this is my imagination. I don't know in the field. It was very wet. I've used that bag about 15 nights now. And just the way the summer's gone, they've all been <laughs> wet nights. And I think that the polyester dries faster or feel at least feels drier. Yeah. I, I can't quantify whether it's actually drier, but I can say what feels drier to the touch. I think it feels drier 
quicker than the nylon, which yeah. makes sense because polyester yeah. doesn't absorb like nylon does. But I think I noticed that it might need more, more anecdotal testing, but I think sure. I see that. I mean, like you said, it makes sense based on like the, the fiber characteristics, like it's, it's most likely going to have less water in it. Right. <laughs> or we would hope um, that's good to know. And especially with using <laughs> membrane 15, you went with something, I mean that the membrane stuff I find it can be really horrible to work with, <laughs> not to scare anybody away, but it's so light and it like, I just, it's, it can be very difficult. So I think choosing the 15 was probably a good idea. Plus just a little bit more durability and your weight's not great at with a membrane 15 either. You know, it's not, it's not a heavy fabric by any stretch of the imagination anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I know people go crazy yeah. light with sleeping bag fabrics. I have dogs. <laughs> uh, I'm not the most careful with my gear. Like I don't, I'm not just reckless sure. with it, but I also use it. And for me, stuff's made to be used yeah. and it works for other people. It would not be a good fit for me. So yeah, the 15 outer, yeah. uh, the print part and the 20 inner was uh, that's I'm very comfortable with that for yeah. my uses that I didn't find it too bad to work with. Honestly, it's light, it's yeah. slippery, but I mean, though all those fabrics are, I didn't find it like uh, significantly different than other fabrics sure. with that weight. Yeah. You're, you're also a veteran. So you have, you've got, you've got the, you've got the skills that I have not even comprehended before. <laughs> also though, this bag, the parts on that fabric were pretty minimal. Hmm. Um, it's basically just the darts, yeah. which are just straight right. lines mm -hmm. and sewing the baffles to it, which is just straight lines. And then yeah. if you're, once you're dealing with the edges where the zipper is going in, that's, that's the hardest part was putting the zipper in there uh, in terms of like difficult sewing. And at that point you've got it like glue sticked down or you've got it clipped or like you're, you have a lot of management options gotcha. to deal yeah. with it at that point. Yeah. That makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So after making, I know that you said the sleeping bag was your first down project that you had tackled after accomplishing that. Do you have a desire to do more down projects? Uh, I think I have a lot more confidence to do more down projects now. Um, I really try to walk the line in only making things that I need. Doesn't always work. See the tent. Um, but so I've kind of got my sleeping bag roster filled out right now. And I, there's all sorts of projects I'd love to make, but they replace things I already have. And that's the trouble with making things I find is then I, it just, it's just a different kind of consumerism sometimes. And I try to walk the line <laughs> on that. So like now my younger dog is a terrible winter camper and I think he needs a down sleeping bag. So maybe that. <laughs> I know you make a lot of apparel and I've dabbled in that, um, which is a little, a little off the record. Um, but I know if people follow you, they see your apparel projects. I didn't know if you had any plans to make any down apparel or not. Not immediately, but it's certainly not something I would never do. I, I actually might need down pants coming up. We'll see if that becomes a thing. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd work with down again. Down booties might be a thing that's in my future. They're not something I have already. I don't have any insulated pants actually at all. So those are both down projects that could fit in in the, my gear repertoire. I've got a friend that lives in Northern Vermont awesome. and he asks me at least twice a week. He's like, dude, can you make those down pants for me, please? <laughs> Just that weather gets so ridiculous. And I, I haven't, I haven't stepped, I've only done one insulated project before, but never with feathers. It was with, with, with climate shield. One thing that we haven't mentioned yet, and I think is probably a good segue to talk about the tent a little bit is that we haven't mentioned the design. You mentioned that you did a custom, uh, a custom upload uh, pattern for your sleeping bag and for your tent, but for people listening, tell us about the print that you chose, because I think I can easily say and confidently say this is one of the most eye-catching sleep systems I have ever seen, period. Um, and if anyone has ever seen it, you know, they, they know they've seen it. As soon as you'll explain it, it'll all make sense. If they haven't, you'll, they'll see it on our social media sometime soon because we'll post about it. I have a bit of a theme going with my gear. It's all this kind of like astro night sky aurora thing going on. So the first tent I made was... Um, the Kensho 2 tent and I did it in your uh, one of the standard prints the starry night and I wanted to continue that so the print I used for the sleeping bag is some trees across the bottom and then like a a watercolor sky in purples and greens and for the tent it was a continuous um, print like horizontally it could be put side by side by side by side continuously and it is trees along the bottom and then 
a like stylized watercolor aurora borealis themed print is that a a picture i know you said you were into astrophotography is that an original picture of yours or did you just go online find a stock image and you said i love this i think it's going to print really great those are both stock images. Uh, I have no artistic skills to speak of. Inter- those are both like painted. I, yeah, I stick figures, straight lines, graph paper. That's, <laughs> that's the extent of my drawing and uh, like classically artistic ability. So they're both stock images that I purchased the right to use uh, to do that project with. So there's hope for us non-artistic people in custom prints. <laughs> That is true. So speaking of your tint, unless there's anything else you want to tack on about your quilt, let's hear about the tint that you made. Yeah. So the tent, it is less interesting on the design side for sure. It is pretty much an X-Mid uh, with a few minor changes. It's, it's broadly the same. Uh, the big differences being uh, the big intentional differences, because I'll get to that when we talk about how stuff worked. Um, the big intentional differences were I put a snap on the bottom of the zipper. Just, I mean, it works fine. I don't, I haven't ever heard of people having problems with the tension being on the zipper, but it, it freaks me out. So I put one on there. Um, the way the inner clips into the peaks is different. Uh, the actual one uses buckles and then is able to use that um, attachment point for the pull tip grommet. I pitch handles up, so I didn't need that part. So I did that whole thing a little bit lighter with a line lock on the inner and just a grow grain loop on the peak. And then I can adjust it. I can clip, just clip it in. It's easy to take out. Uh, and it's easy to pitch inner only because you don't have that buckle to deal with. And then uh, I added more pockets to the inner. Um, my my um, changes were, were very minimal to the design. I have a X-Med one, so I get asked this all the time. Okay. How did I do it? Yeah, <laughs> I used my X-Med one and draped a pattern off it. Um, ah, that was going to be my next question was how familiar are, how familiar, the, <laughs> how familiar were you with the X-Mid, but you just answered my question. So that's good to know. So you have your own X-Mid one and you just drape the fabric that you were using for your tent over that to pattern it out. Yeah. So I took, so draping is, is like a pattern making technique you use your 3d to start with and then translate it into a 2d pattern versus like your your kind of standard tailoring pattern you're going in the opposite direction uh so i just use bed sheets uh some cheap uh, poly fabric i got from the on clearance at the fabric store i made a lot of prototypes i made so (laughs) many prototypes i never prototype stuff that much but with like the Custom print is not trivial cost-wise, and it was very scary to me that it was going to be something that didn't work. So I just prototyped it to death, which actually turned out interesting. Again, we'll talk later about how it worked. Works fine, but fabric behavior cannot be underestimated when you're like pattern, patterning matters, the orientation of your stretch in your fabric matters, but the actual stretch characteristics of the fabric matters as well. Um, So yes. Oh, and something I also get asked all the time, I'm not putting a pattern out for that. Like I said earlier, not my design. I'm not going to put a pattern out for it. It's also legally not cool, but that's not something I'm doing. No, that totally makes sense. And I know that even though you use the X-Med and Dan Durston's design, I know that I've seen him re- post your thing. So I think, you know, imitation is the best form of flattery, but I think, you know, you're doing what artists do to support each other is, Hey, this wasn't mine. I'm not going to put it out, yeah. but you work, you also worked really, really hard to, to do that too. So I totally understand, but hopefully you can help inspire other people to give them the knowledge. Sometimes a lot of people just, especially on the internet, want to be like spoon fed all the information yeah. <laughs> as we know. And you're like, I did all the research on my own and it took me 32 hours. So, you know, you could do the same. <laughs> so, yeah. Dan, Dan was there. super cool about it. It's for a personal project. That was all cool. Yeah. And, yeah. He was super cool about it. Awesome. So yeah, I just thought I'd mention it. Cause I do get asked like several times a week <laughs> for people that, sorry, uh, for people that don't know about this tent. Um, this is an awesome balance between kind of like the classic tent to tarp 
shelter back and forth because I feel like it splits the bill really well. Like I've been in Carter here. He's got uh, the 2P. And so I've been in a couple of times and I, I really like how it does split that bill between like not fully being enclosed, like four wall tent, you have a little bit better airflow and you have much better gear accessibility where you can still be in a tent and have store your gear in a covered area. It's a phenomenal design. So if you haven't seen it, go, go check that out. But is that, is that why you did this one specifically or because it was, it was local to you so you could, you know, check out the pattern or did you also find the functionality to be kind of superior like everybody else has? (laughs) I love the functionality. Yeah. It is a balance. Like it is not the lightest. It's not the biggest. It's not, but I love the balance and how easy it pitches is a big thing yeah. for me too. Like uh, that one on the superior trail, it was the first time my husband had used his under quilt with the bug net. And I think the first night until he got it figured out, it took him about two hours to set up. I was, that was not, that's not something I like to take. I don't like to tinker. I want to get there. I want to put in my four stakes and my two poles and be done. So I, I love the the design. I love the, how functional the tarp portion, the fly portion of it is alone in the winter. Uh, I don't do non bug net things in Ontario. If it's not the dead of winter, that is not the place. Uh, at least for me, it's too buggy yeah. for me. Um, I, yeah, it's, I love the design. It was a bit of a, I, I keep calling it a vanity project, but it was not, so I already had the tent. It filled the niche. I wanted it to fill, but I just kept picturing it in this yeah. custom print. Uh, and it's a fun project learning project because the orientations of the grains had to be right. And I don't do a lot of tent design, but it's interesting. And so it was a good stepping stone. I had something I could model off Mm -hmm. of uh, and have kind of that safety net when you're dealing with custom prints and still have a design I knew I was gonna love. Give us all the nitty gritty tint specs because I know people love to know those things. So what fabrics did you use to make the tent? And then um, what were the final tech specs of the tent and like how much did it weigh basically? Yeah, so uh, 1.1 ounce custom printed silk poly for the fly, uh, the same, but not custom printed for the inner uh, floor. I went light on that. I wanted to test it. My other tent I made, I used hex 70, but that tent, which is overkill, that's a really heavy floor, but I've got dogs and that tent was specifically for me and my two dogs. That's, that's the Kensho too. That's was the use case for it. So I went excessive with the floor and it's always worked fine. I wanted to try this, just the standard sill poly for the floor of this one, because it's pretty easy to replace. Like if I hate it, if it doesn't work, Uh, I can just rip it off the bottom and put a new one on. It's worked totally fine. Uh, I I will see how it works over time. It does. It isn't like the most waterproof for a floor, but it's been functioning just fine. The bivy I have in 1.1 is working fine. Um, So I use that for the floor. The, uh, all the mesh is just the standard mid to eight mesh. Again, with the kind of balance on durability and lightness, I like the midweight one. It's easy to work with, although it's changed. I had some older stuff and it was, it was, it had a different hand than the newer stuff. It, no preference either way. It, I just noticed that it, it had changed. And then the waterproof zippers, standard coil zipper for the inner doors, grow grain, line locks, all that kind of stuff. In the end, it came out to 25.2 ounces with all the lines um, the inner and outer seam sealed. That's like the final all in weight, no stakes, but all the lines wow. and I am not stingy with my lines. <laughs> that is, uh, that's impressive. I know you mentioned before you started talking about it, that it wasn't the most ultra light, you know, it was more midway, but I would say from my knowledge of other tents that are the size that you made, which is like a two, I mean, I guess it's technically considered a two-person tent, but very roomy. Um, 25 ounces is like, you're hitting that sweet spot of that ultralight shelter, especially using the sill poly. We get a lot of questions about what fabric should I use for tents? And people automatically, they want to go with the DCF or with a more expensive fabric. But this proves that you can make something so cool, just like the industry standard I don't want to say generic, but I mean, it's 1.1 sill poly. That's like the go-to <laughs> for so many things, but people think tent shelters. I mean, it has to be life-saving. Your life depends on it when you're in the backcountry, and you're just like, you're just going with the standard norm. So I think that is 
awesome and really encouraging for other people. Um, I have a question real quick. You mentioned you did the sill poly for the floor. Did you do anything with the ground sheet? And I know it rained, said slashed hailed a lot on that trip. So you said it held up fine, but did you pair it with the ground sheet? And if it did rain, you said uh, it was okay through the rain. Yeah, uh, I don't use a ground sheet. Uh, well, in winter, I use a ground sheet, but like with my tents, I, I don't. It starts getting really fiddly. And I really like that, like optimized, just up and down setup. So I haven't. If I knew it was going to be crazy muddy consistently, I might consider it just to try to keep things cleaner. But I didn't with this. Again, with the age, we'll see over time. <laughs> but I certainly didn't have a problem with it. Uh, like this, this set of trips or, um, my bivvy's actually quite a bit older. I made it a number of years ago. Uh, and it's, it's still fine too. Now it doesn't get a ton of use. Like it's a pretty niche thing for me, especially now that I have the one person tent. Um, it maybe gets a couple nights a year, so it hasn't had crazy use, but just, I know like even I have a couple older tents with the P just the standard older PU coatings and they just break down existing. And I have a tent, the floor is totally toast and it's not from use. It's just, it's just because PU coatings break down over time. Was there a really difficult part about the tent? Cause I, I I'm looking at a picture right now and there are a lot of parts that look pretty brutal, but I do have to say that I, my assumption is that just the sketching out and getting the, the template or the, the pattern was probably the worst part, but was once you got all the pieces cut out and set up, was there any stitching that was difficult or was it really just the patterning that was really the pain? Yeah. It, most of the sewing on that was extremely mm -hmm. straightforward. It's a lot of seams, but it's a lot of straight <laughs> seams. I used a mod, like I used like, it isn't a pure flat feld, but it isn't the kind of modified French flat feld that you see mm -hmm. use a lot. It was, I sewed them outside, trimmed down the one, folded the other in it and yeah. stitched down a second line. So it's, it's not like a perfectly true flat feld, but it's, it's not the hybrid sure. French. Uh, I, I hadn't used it before on an actual project. I've used it in clothing, uh, which are a little easier to use when you're dealing with, because you can iron them better. I, I do. Iron, okay. I iron my synthetic fabrics when I'm sewing them, which freaks yeah. people out, <laughs> <laughs> freaks people out a lot. It makes the seams and stuff way easier to work with. It makes them look way nicer with less puckering. You just got to reuse a really, really low iron. Uh, test it on a scrap. Make sure it's not going to melt anything. Really, really, really low. A synthetic setting. And I find it makes things a lot easier to deal with and work with. And that's something when I post things about that, that so I you, get a lot of questions about. So I thought so you iron it. them entirely before you pattern and cut out at all, or you iron, be iron before you like mm -hmm. do the flat fail just for, so the seam is easier. If I'm doing multi-step seams, so something mm -hmm. like a modified French flat felt, the thing yeah. you see a lot, it, I don't know that it has a, an actual name, but yeah. you see it a lot in DIY, yeah. DIY worlds. Um, every step I will like, I'll iron it open, mm -hmm. for instance, then iron it flat in the direction yeah. I want it to go. And it helps manage it, the seams inside a little bit better. Cause sometimes what will happen is your seam. So this is actually something that comes from quilting, like quilts. Quilting is a perfectionist thing. I'm not a perfectionist, but you get a lot of that and people iron everything. I iron everything mm. even when quilting to make sure your seams are going in a particular direction. Some people there's sure. debate. There's a, everybody has the right <laughs> way, but the importance of ironing is big there. And it does, I don't see it as much in apparel, but I'm not in apparel in a formal way. Totally. I've done it a long time, but it's not as formal, but so ironing your seams is just a bigger thing coming out of other kinds of sewing. That is more my background. Okay. I've, like apparel is, is my wheelhouse, apparel and alterations and repairs. That's, that's largely what I have done for years and years. And so, yeah, the ironing and multi-step seams just helps manage your seam allowances better. Yeah. They get caught up in things. They don't flip flop. <laughs> you know, sometimes it, it'll start on the left and it'll yeah. flip to the right and it makes it hard to work with in, in further steps. It just makes all that a little bit Especially easier. with puckering too. Like with those long seams, I've made uh, two tarps and that was like, that does become a problem when you're looking at like that hybrid French felt seam. Like you can very easily end up getting a little bit more fabric in one area or like you accidentally sew a piece that's, you know, it, it can pucker and it can bunch pretty easily. So the ironing, I, it's not something I would have thought about, um, but I definitely see what I'd make the seam running way easier and a lot less hazardous. 
Yeah. So I definitely don't like iron the whole sure. fabric, but once you're doing the seams and have done one to yeah. press them open or to make sure your seam allowance is going the way you want it to, it helps. Like you talking about the puckering, there's so many yeah. things that help a little bit and then will make the overall process easier. Yeah. Oh, to actually answer your question though, cause I am the tangent <laughs> queen and can't tell a straight story. Um, the hardest actual sewing part was putting the reinforcements in the peaks. Uh, it wasn't like it was fine, but it required a lot more attention yeah. and going slow and making sure it was in there right and you weren't catching fabric you did not want to be in there. So in terms of the actual sewing, that was the hardest part and just the two peak supports. You had to be a lot more careful putting them in. And did you what did you use for the peak supports? Did you was that just part of the extra like did you double up on the sill poly or did you use something else? Oh. I used a little bit of the scrap hex 70 from the Kensho okay. tent gotcha. floor. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. You said you, you... all my guyotes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. All my guyotes were just still poly. Though. Okay. I see. Yeah. Yeah. What line did you use for the, for the guyot lines? Uh, something I got in Canada. Okay. <laughs> um, it, <laughs> I don't, I, again, I, I'm not super in the yeah. weeds on the materials. Uh, I know some people really yep. love that part. Uh, it's just a, like a reflective okay. three point something because i know those are the line lock threes need a little yeah. bit bigger cord in them um reflective but it it's oh this is gonna be bad because i really like function over uh <laughs> like aesthetics you wouldn't know that if you look at my instagram <laughs> but um it's like a blue and green uh cord with a reflective Ooh, strip in it so it's easy to find nice. it's it's an excellently functional yeah. cord but the, with so much cord on the market the colors were the deciding factor it was from uh hoffman outdoor gear in canada i think they yeah. carried it yeah. i'd also say having dogs and camping with dogs i know the struggle of like i set up my tent and the dogs start <laughs> running around at camp and they can't see the guy lines and they're like tripping over them the stakes are coming out my tent's falling down so i will say having reflective lines and that's on my to-do list is to just go back to my old tent, replace all my guidelines. Cause I cannot, I can't, and I am more guilty than the dogs. I'm tripping over them. I like wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and I'm like face first in the dirt <laughs> for my tent. Cause I forget that it's staked out. <laughs> yeah. Those late night bathroom trips. That's really the one for me. Cause I'm not my best self at three in the morning when I'm freezing no. cold and unhappy being out there. <laughs> I think we, so one of our latest episodes was the, the, um, the biggest products of 2021. And now that I think about it, I think there was a serious missed segment in that episode where we didn't talk about reflective, the UHMWP reflective cord, because reflective cord is one of the biggest changes in campsites for everybody, everybody's ankles and knees and faces. And uh, we brought that on. So yeah, we definitely missed out on that one. That is, we're going to bring on more. We've got different like reflective shock cord and stuff coming up, but um, yeah, man, we, we really miss out on that one, Avery. <laughs> yeah. So looking back and reflecting on the tent and the tarp that you made, um, even though I know you meticulously planned and patterned and did all the work for this, is there anything that you would do differently or change? Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't think you can make anything without <laughs> wanting to iterate on it. That said, everything came out better than I expected it to, which I rarely get to say. Like, <laughs> usually I make something I'm like, eh. That wasn't, didn't come out quite as high I pictured it, but everything honestly exceeded my expectations. Now the tent's kind of a given because I already knew the design. So I had a certain level of expectation on how that was going to function. But um, the thing I would change there would be the inner. So this kind of becomes a bit of a story. So the inner is fine. It works, but it is based off the actual XMID inner. However, the outer pitches a little differently than an actual X-Mid. Pitch is fine. Pitch is nice and tight, but it does pitch differently. It needs longer poles being because the fabric itself, they're both silk poly, but I believe the coatings are different. I think the coatings are different. Not 100% sure. That's my running theory. Um, and the fabric of the X-Mid has extremely little stretch in the bias in particular, because it is a woven. It's yeah. not like it's stretchy, but bias stretch is a thing and it matters, especially when you're dealing with tent patterning. And so the 1.1 ounce still poly 
overall, once in a 10, and on the bias, I think I have a story somewhere of me showing this bias stretch on the one point out, one out, so Polly, it's significant. And that's not bad. It's not a bad thing. It's just a characteristic of the fabric that you need to account for. So the outer pitch is a little bit bigger and a little bit taller than the actual X-Mid. And so with the inner that is designed off of the original, it's just not the best use of space it could be. I needed to make my corner lines longer um, and it doesn't quite reach the top of the peaks. It, it does hang down. I've, I've got that adjustable for line locks but I could have made something that was a better use of space sure. in there. Um, now that the stretchiness is really interesting. Like I, I said earlier about this has been a really interesting opportunity to play with tent design in kind of a safe and economical way. Um, it has been interesting to see with pieces that are almost exactly the same size that are in the same grain orientations and see how it, behaves differently that's been really interesting what i found is this kind of six one half a dozen of another it's a little it needs the longer pole settings so i actually had to swap the poles my husband uses with mine because mine's were the mine were the women's poles that are short uh which works fine with the actual x mid but i need the longer ones for mine and it pitches a little easier nicely on uneven grounds like i, I do find with my actual x mid if the ground's uneven, it can be a little harder to get like a really tight pitch. Whereas with this extra stretch kind of compensates for that. However, if you mess up the footprint, when you peg it in, you peg it in rectangular on the base. Mm -hmm. And if you're wrong with mine, the stretch amplifies the wonkiness and you're going to have to redo it. Um, uh, whereas with the X-Mid, the actual one with the less stretchy fabric, it'll tolerate a little bit more uh, off-kilterness off than mine will. If you're off, the stretchiness just amplifies how bad it is. So it's kind of six one half a dozen of another. Once you're used to pegging it out square, it, it kind of doesn't matter. But I know one night on the border trail, the actual campsite was just like this deadfall windblown mess. And I was super nervous in there. I couldn't find anywhere. I was super comfortable to pitch that something wouldn't come down. I found somewhere kind of, and like 15 minutes later, a great big branch came down 20 feet from me. So I just like grabbed everything in my arms and camped in the parking lot because <laughs> I was it was the last night I had to walk back to my car after that and I had I was like all flustered and I was already kind of having a hard day because that's when I realized my inReach was definitely not working and I was so flustered and I had to peg that thing out like four different <laughs> times before I got it right just because I was flustered and like my heart rate was up and <laughs> so it's kind of it's just a trade-off on that I find with it. It's interesting. I was glad I got to learn that. And then the the sleeping bag, <laughs> mostly it's exactly how I want it. I didn't know how big a difference having a sleeping bag that fits that well was going to make. Um, my feet don't, don't get cold pretty much ever in it. Um, I do rotisserie sleep. And so that's why it was important for me to have a <laughs> zipper baffle on it or a draft tube down the zipper because I knew it was going to end up at the top. I couldn't just trust that it was going to stay on my mat, but because it fits, I'm not dragging it around with me so much when right. I roll around, it kind of, it rolls around a little bit, but I don't get tangled in it in the same way. So that's really cool. I did forgot to add a hang loop on the foot when I made it. So that's the, the big thing I changed. <laughs> so it can hang uh. properly with my other sleeping bags. But it's, and it, it did turn out a bit warmer than I expected, which I'm not sure if that's a con, <laughs> I guess it depends on the use case. Um, I think I'm also sleeping hotter these days than I have in the past because uh, hormones are weird, but it, <laughs> I had it down to negative 10 um, the other night. I've been testing it. So uh, that's again, Celsius. So it's, that's a little colder than 20. Uh, it's yeah. approaching 15 Fahrenheit. And I was too hot at times. Now it also is excellent site selection. So it's probably going to be a little colder than that on like a hard tent pad, but I'm still testing where the bottom limit of comfort is on it. So I do think it's running a little warmer 
than a, I aimed at a, a 20 degree Fahrenheit right. bag, which is negative seven ish Celsius. I think it's running a little bit warmer than that. Not sure if I change that. Cause this is hopefully going to be like my Rockies bag. Uh, and so that like a 20 degree bag's fine on the superior trip when it was about 13 degrees, I definitely had to like open it right up and use it like a quilt, but that's why it has that ability. Sarah, I am so impressed with your processes, your testing, um, really just your mind as a whole with how you go through this MIOG process. Uh, listening to you talk about your sleeping bag and and shelter, incredibly inspiring, but also very impressive. I feel excited to go work on stuff and also know I will not make it as cool as you have. <laughs> um, this has been so cool. Thank you for taking all this time to, to make this stuff, but now to share it with us here, I, I think this has been a really cool episode and to hear about how you have concepted these things is awesome. Thanks. Uh, that's really nice. You, I, thanks for the opportunity to do this. I definitely made some stuff I wouldn't have otherwise, uh, because of this opportunity and it, it was a really fun process. Yeah. And thank you so much again for sharing your journey and being so open with everyone. I always geek out when I see your Instagrams and, uh, to plug your dogs are amazing. You had that video. You said you loved gardening too. And I was like, showed all my friends a video of your dog going to get that glove for you out of your garden. I was like, what can she not do? This is amazing. So if you don't follow Sarah on Instagram already, definitely head over to her Instagram page, uh, mountain underscore dog underscore adventures. Thanks so much for having me. It's always fun talking about this stuff. Absolutely. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks.